0: This is Courage Cast, faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey everyone, this is Eric Nordoff, and you're listening to Courage Cast. It is so good to be with you. Today, I am joined by Denise Jones, an author. Denise is also the founder of Reclaiming Hearts Ministries. She's the author of two nonfiction books and eight novels. Her books have been featured in Southern Living, hailed as smart and witty by Library Journal and chosen for the Pulpwood Queens and Women of Faith book clubs. She lives right here. She's my neighbor, basically, in Franklin, Tennessee, not quite. Uh, she's She lives here with her husband, her five bonus children, and her dog. You can learn all about Denise Jones at reclaiminghearts.com. Now, uh, before I jump into the interview, I just want to give a quick disclaimer. I had a slight technical glitch. For about the first 20 minutes of my interview, uh, she sounds a little bit Different than she sounds in the remaining 30 minutes of my interview. I had a, a problem with a setting, which I corrected, but I, um, I I didn't realize that it was sounding quite as shrilly as it did. I'm going to do my best to affect it and fix it be- before you hear it. But uh, just so you know, that will change if you notice something weird. I'm also not on my microphone in the first 20 minutes, but that also gets fixed. So Uh, I'm just in my built-in microphone on my computer. So hopefully you won't mind this time. But uh, hey, we're not about perfection. We're not about performance. And you'll learn all about that here uh, with my conversation with Denise. So let me go ahead and let you listen to my interview with author Denise Jones. Well, hey, everyone. I am so grateful to have Denise Hildreth. Jones. Do I call you Denise Hildreth Jones or just Denise Jones? Just
1: call me Denise Jones, or just call me Denise.
0: I'm just well. I'm just going to call you jo- uh, Denise. I won't call you Mrs. Jones.
1: Yeah, that works. That'll that
0: awkward, probably. But. <laughs> well, good to talk with you, Denise. Um, I'm so grateful to have you here on the the Courage Cast podcast. Um, we were just talking before we got started that uh, we have some some. Similar relationships, and that's how we got connected. Um, you may or may not know, I asked Lee Graves, my good friend, uh, who he knows that I should know. And he gave me three names, and two out of those three have joyfully and gratefully responded to me and have uh, now are on the Courage Cast. So uh, we want to thank Lee and give a shout out to Lee um, right here for this connection.
1: Absolutely. Lee's a great connector
0: yes he is a great connector and I thought you said character and I would have agreed with that as well
1: <laughs> yeah that too maybe <laughs>
0: <laughs> well um, Denise um, you are an author you run a nonprofit ministry and you you have a lot going on you've got an amazing story and so I want to start with your story and you go back as far as as you would like to, but I want people to get to know you because you actually are uh, and I'm not, I'm going to embarrass you here, but you are an up and coming um, national uh, leader, women's leader for women in, in my opinion and from what I'm reading about you. Um, so I'm just incredibly grateful that you, uh, that we're kind of catching you um, at this point. And I know you're, you're going to, you're probably very busy, but you're, probably getting ready to be even more busy. So please start off with wherever you want to and share with my audience, your story.
1: Uh, Wow. Thank you, Eric. Um, You know, I'm, I'm like most of your readers or your listeners. Sorry. I'm a writer. So I'm so used to talking about readers. Um, we're just trying to do the best we can in the place that we are where God has us planted for this season. And I'm just grateful to do what I love. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in a pastor's home. It was a more legalistic denomination though. My, my parents were really laid back and gracious and, but yet that can kind of seep into your DNA, so to speak. And, I moved to Nashville right after I graduated college and thought I was going to do music and like so many other people who were here and no one wanted to hear me sing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I realized really quickly that that wasn't going to work out. Aww. And I found myself working in the parts department of a heating and air conditioning company, wondering why in the world I had moved to Nashville and I was going to a a large church here in town at the time and had written an article about Mercy Ministries for the church magazine. And what I didn't know is in that, the the very night that I called my parents with one of those SOS call homes, SOS calls, Nancy Alcorn of Mercy was reading the article that I had written for the church magazine, and she was in the middle of writing her kind of memoir autobiography called Echoes of Mercy and called me the next day and said, Denise, I really want this book to read like your article. Will you come help me finish my book? Hmm. And I said, Nancy, I don't write. Huh. And he said, Yes, you do. <laughs> and honestly, Eric, That phone call that day, I truly believe, propelled me into my destiny, and it has been a powerful lesson for me now, some 25 years later and 20 years in ministry later, the power that we have to call somebody into their destiny and to speak almost prophetically into somebody's life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it gives us a real um, soberness of our words as well.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And... So I began to write that kind of opened up the door of writing for me. It gave me a a confidence and a courage, if you will. I love that part of your title and to believe in myself to write the written word. And about two years after that, teaching opened almost virtually the same way when the youth pastor at our church asked me to come help teach a college and career class. And I said, David, I don't teach. And he said, I think you may. And I stepped into that role just teaching Sunday school. And it was like a forest fire was lit in my soul. And I felt like Jeremiah did when he said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. And I wondered how I live my whole life not teaching the word. And the two kind of converged on each other in fiction. And I I wrote fiction for, I I think I've written eight novels, I think. Hmm. And the Lord gave me, interestingly enough, fiction came about by nonfiction being perpetually rejected. Hmm. And I'd had this huge desire to write these really profound, you know, nonfiction books that changed people's lives and taught them about Jesus. And lo and behold, it's a fiction novel about a rigged beauty pageant that ends up getting published. Mm. And what I discovered is that God, Jesus revealed truth to us through story. And he gave me this intense passion to take truths that he had taught me, to take biblical truths and put them into story form. And you watch these incredibly broken characters come to a place of reckoning with their brokenness and having to choose what they're going to do with it. Mm. And I had no idea that what I was writing in fiction would be what God would call me to live out in the realness of my own story. And so having met my first husband through Nancy Alcorn, when I started writing that very first book, I we were married for about six years when the awareness of the brokenness of his story and kind of where we were just came crashing in like a tsunami. And for the next 12 and a half years, I felt like I was trying to paddle my way through a deluge and survive Mm. and pray for a miracle. And in my desperate attempt to survive, I became a real shell of the beautiful, alive heart that God had created me to live. Mm. And so after 13 years of marriage, After separation, countless counselors, I found myself divorced at the age of 37. I had no children, which was probably the greatest heartbreak of my story and still continues to be a grief that I have to um, process and pray through and go through. And um, then the Lord just began to reveal the tragic sin that I had allowed to come into my own heart. And that was by living in fear, living in performance, um, swallowed up in disappointment. And these things manifested themselves physically. They manifested themselves emotionally. And I remember you and I were talking about a mutual friend, another mutual friend that we had, Ken Edwards, who was my therapist and counselor after my divorce. And I remember walking into Ken's office that very first day and forgive me, this makes me emotional every time. But I looked at him that day and I said, whatever got me here, I want it out of me. Mm. And because I knew that, so often, especially in divorce, if somebody has one of the, uh, something really big to label their stuff, we want to focus on the big label stuff. Mm-hmm. And we want to ignore um, what may look smaller in comparison and not acknowledge that it's just all sin. And every time I had moved towards fear instead of faith in the Lord, every time I had moved towards Um, performing and trying to present something that that just wasn't true. I moved away from authentic living and um, being vulnerable and honest with where I was and away from the Lord. And I had to own my sin in that story. And so all these fiction characters that I'd written all these years now, here I was trying to live it out in real life. And I just went on a desperate search for my heart and what I discovered was that um, the enemy is a thief. And if you've ever looked at John ten ten, it's a it's a progressive maneuvering that he has. He comes to steal and then he comes to kill. But his ultimate goal is always destruction. But he never starts out that way. He usually comes in as the thief first, and he had come in so subtly in my story, and now here I was with the destruction of my marriage around my feet, but what I refused to be destroyed was the very essence of my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I just plunged headlong into my healing, and I owned my stuff. And in the middle of the journey of pain and beauty and wooing and pushing, it was like the heart of my father and his love for me was just illuminated in such a detailed way that to run from it would have been shameful. And so I didn't, I just ran headlong into it as scary as it was. And I discovered that he really did come to give me abundant life and wholehearted living. And, um, so that's where I live now. And, um, It birthed a ministry, it birthed a book called Reclaiming Your Heart, and it birthed a book called Flying Solo that was actual journals from the year of my divorce, from the day I walked into divorce court to a year later. Hmm. And it birthed this journey that I'm on that is wild and scary and sometimes painful, where I've now had to learn to guard this treasure that God has given me. I don't think it's an accident that Proverbs 4.23 starts off this way, above all else, Mm -hmm. meaning more than anything else that we do, we are to guard this heart that God has given us, this place where our thoughts and our will and our creativity and our intuitiveness resides, our ability to choose resides. We are to guard this with all diligence. And because the New Living Translation says it affects everything you do. And nothing could be more true because when your heart is not guarded and you allow it to shut down in an area, it affects you physically. It affects you relationally. It affects you emotionally. It affects you in your, um, choices in the things that you think in your mind. It affects everything you do. And it would be a very deceptive way to walk to think that it didn't. Mm. And, um, So now, at the age of uh, no,
0: um,
1: I I bleeped that out. By the way, (laughs) thank you. You bleeped
0: your own thing.
1: Oh yeah, I I bleep myself. Um, No, I can own it. At the age of forty-seven, now I've been married for six and a half years uh, to a precious man who came with five kids. And we describe it as drinking water from a fire hydrant because that's what it still feels like at times. How old are they? Um, when we married, they were from 13 to 7, and now they're from 20 to 14.
0: I would imagine <laughs> you have uh, the prayer answered of having children to mentor and love.
1: Um, you know, Eric, yes and no. Um. I, And this is where I find the tension in our stories and in the perpetual surrender of our pictures of how we want life to live and to be and to be lived. Um, Yes, I entered the story of these five beautiful children, but I also entered their story in their most broken place Mm -hmm. and in the middle of an environment that is not normal. That is not um, the way any child's heart would desire it to be. We still continually have to navigate their places of pain. And they have a mom. And so I'm a bonus mom. And some days that is very much accepted and received. And some days it's um, pushed back on. And sometimes it's rejected for a moment. And in some cases, it's been rejected perpetually. And so um, you find yourself as as I'm sure most parents do or any parents do at some time or another, you're just navigating it. We call it a beautifully painful journey. Mm -hmm. And because God's in it and whenever he's in it, it's going to be beautiful, but it can also be painful because that's where his grace proves most sufficient. So this is where we are and this is what we do. And this is the brokenness of our story. And the redemption of God's grace. And I find myself these days, exceptionally grateful that God is present and that Romans 8, 28 really is true that he is always working out our good Mm -hmm. when we love him and are called according to his purpose, no matter what our stories look like. Mm.
0: So you have a ministry, uh, Reclaiming (laughs) Hearts or is it mm-hmm. Reclaiming Your Heart?
1: It's Reclaiming Hearts. The book is Reclaiming Your Heart.
0: Yeah, the book is Reclaiming Your Heart. Uh, I recommend uh, all of our listeners get it. But reclaiminghearts.com is where you can, you know, download the free 10-week study from the book. There's videos there and in-depth discussion guides, etc. Tell me, is the book you sharing your journey, this journey in much more detail?
1: Um, yes, there's, um, a lot of my story in there. There's also a lot of my husband's story, Philly, my husband now, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, I don't share really the details of my first marriage. I feel like a lot of those are my first husbands to share. And the Lord let me know early on if I honored my first husband, he would honor me and he has, Mm -hmm. and we've honored each other, which has been a sweet journey to have. So it's mine and Philly's story, a lot of it, but it's also a lot of scripture and a lot of biblical truth. And so that's what people will find as they kind of journey through through the book.
0: I love the intro on the back here. It says, uh, have you ever said those were the best years of my life? Mm -hmm. Have you ever believed that your past disqualified you? for your future. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought one more car or one more house or one more piece of cake would fulfill you? Have you ever wondered where the abundant life scripture promises is and how you seem to have missed it? Mm -hmm. I tell you, just those questions right there, I can relate to all of those, especially the piece of cake. (laughs) I just had too much cake today, that's why my belly is full. But, um, (laughs) but I've said sometimes those were the best years of my life, you know, I look back fondly. I've caught myself, you know, hearing a song and taking me back completely to that point in time. And, um, or maybe, maybe I start, my body starts to break down and I feel, oh man, I mean, where did the time go? I used to be able to do this and that. And, and I feel like, you know, my life is passing away. Yeah. And the Bible says, you know, part of the reason I started this was, he says in in uh, in the Psalms, teach us to number our days, mm. and um, and so yeah, I thought all of these. What what do you say to someone who has thought these said said these things or asked these questions?
1: I say those are really good indicators of where your heart is mm. at the. At the root of any shut down heart in its totality or in its partiality is a lie we've believed about God ultimately. So, say if I have a situation in my life that is disappointing. Maybe it's a, a big one like a divorce or a financial catastrophe or a health crisis, or maybe it's one disappointment that I have over and over and over and over again, or maybe it's multiple disappointments and it's just like the snowball effect. When my heart moves towards a lie about my God, then you can see the enemies stealing moment coming in, because at the root of any shutdown heart is a lie we've believed about God. And in a disappointed heart, we would say in the book that we've believed the lie that God isn't for me. That if this would happen to me, that God must not be for me in some way. Hmm. And so that's kind of how we walk through the book and the different ways that our heart can shut down and the lie that we've believed about our God inside of that, that heart. And so I found myself in my first marriage, I was always talking about college and I was always saying, those were the best years of my life. And whenever I would say them, my first thought was, wow, I wonder what that does to my husband's heart. Mm but yet for whatever reason, it was just such this automatic button that was pushed in me to respond that way. And it wasn't until fast forward, sitting in Ken's office after my divorce is over that I realized if I would have really paid attention to that statement, I would have really come to a realization that there was some dangerous things. And so I have learned Eric that if I will ask questions of my heart and become a student of my heart, that there is so much God can reveal to me in that, if I'll just listen, that can really bring about bring me to the abundant life that He's created me for, does that make sense?
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely. What are the ways that you pay attention to your heart
1: um One of the biggest ways I'm, I'm thinking of this morning, my husband and I having this exceptional conversation. Um, so this morning I'm trying to talk to my husband, he's been in pain. I finally talked to him into going to chiropractor, which that was funny in and of itself. But I have this supplement that I really believe in. And I was like, babe, serious. If you can take the supplement and I've sent him the information, you name it, I've done it to try to get him to take this supplement. And so he stops me this morning and he says, okay, will you tell me again why I need to take this? <laughs> and so I start to tell him and I'm being very serious and I can't explain it really well. So it doesn't help him much. And he starts laughing at me when I'm telling him. I'm
0: laughing, I'm thinking about it.
1: I got so angry at him laughing after he's asked me to explain it to him and I just walked away. I had to walk out of the room. I was like, you know what? No, I'm not telling you. I'm not even explaining it to you if you're going to laugh at me. So I'm thinking, okay, small action, big reaction. So anytime there's this small action in my story and I have this big reaction, that's usually an indicator that I need to pay attention to something. Mm. And so I'm asking the Lord, okay, Lord, why am I having such an extreme reaction? to his laughing at me when I'm trying to explain this to him seriously. And immediately the revelation comes, you feel mocked. You feel like he's mocking you. Mm. And that's painful. And you want him to appreciate what you offer him and not to mock it. And so when he came back to me later, which he did, he's such a good man, I was able to express that to him. But the beautiful thing about it is as soon as the Lord revealed it to me, all of the anger went away. Mm. Like I wasn't sitting there pouting. I wasn't, you know, giving him the silent treatment. There was no, you know, manipulation or control going on because the Lord had already answered my question. Mm. And honestly, if, That asking questions of my own heart and asking questions of the Lord are the two greatest weapons the Lord has given me in guarding my heart. Like stopping and saying, okay, Lord, what is this really about? I've just had a really small action, a really huge reaction. You love me enough to answer my questions. What is that really about?
0: So you got present, you you have to develop a little bit of a skill to get present with your emotions, to get present with that, that action and be able to stop and pay attention when you overreact or you think is a big response to a small thing. Um, and we do that all the time in marriage. You know, Chrissy and I have been married 18 years and we're, we're just coming alive to this effect, uh, this fact that we are, we are um, you know, that, that we're responding that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just, just getting, getting a little bit aware makes, it goes a long way, but I'm just curious when this, this probably wasn't something that just clicked for you. And then you turn from, I'm accepting, I'm aware of this, uh, issue in my life to, you know, t- t- or not aware of it and just kind of acting out with pouting or acting out with silence or trying to hurt back in some way, um, How, how did you learn the skill to do that?
1: I, I, well, many things that I learned, I received by getting a really good friend and therapist and counselor with Ken Edwards. Mm -hmm. When I realized that I just was totally unequipped for the brokenness of my story and that I really needed someone to shepherd my heart. Um, it was the best gift I ever gave myself.
0: Did you, but a lot of pe- a lot of us are afraid to face the reason we don't respond the way you just did about, hey, I realized that I feel mocked. And this is, you know, this is the, this is what was really going on. Um, that's scary for people to to to, to touch that. Emotion, isn't it?
1: Right. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I'll, I'll tell you, I think the Dave Ramsey says it this way about debt, Eric. He says, you will not get rid of debt until you're angry at what it's stealing from you. Mm. I believe that is true with anything in life that is um, robbing from us. Mm. And I remember the day after my divorce, I remember walking the place that I pray and saying out loud, and I said it this way, honestly, because a friend of mine who had divorced years before said, this is what she prayed. And it just never left me, even though I never dreamed I would be in the same place. But I said out loud, you may have stolen my marriage, but you will not rob one more day of my life. And so I think, which is a great question that you asked me. No, you're right. You don't get to that place overnight. I think everything begins with getting angry over the fact that the enemy is robbing abundant life from us. Mm. And until we get, until we read those few little notes on the back of that cover of Reclaiming Your Heart, like you just did and own that, that is a piece of my story, and then get angry at the fact that it's been taken from us, we usually won't do anything about it. Because until the anger of what's being stolen is greater than the fear of changing it, we will never do anything about it. Hmm. And I was more... Angry at what had been stolen, then afraid of pushing through the pain to, to finding healing, mm. and I think that finally is where my feet met my faith, and I walked into that office that day.
0: So a shift occurred. Mm-hmm. From uh, the balance of power changed. Yes from the 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 um the false power and the the really the weaker power of of Satan doing what he always tries to do which is steal first I'd never thought about it as a progression mm-hmm. um but steal first and then uh so you went from that balance of power to finally And anger was the, it almost was kind of, it seemed like part of the transition. Like it was healthy for you to be angry because you were angry at the devil for taking something that wasn't his. Right? Exactly. And then the anger then turned to what? Sadness?
1: Um.
0: Did you stay in the anger? Uh,
1: uh, no, I didn't stay in the anger because to me, if I had stayed in the anger, the thief would have been able to rob again. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to let him steal through unforgiveness. I wasn't going to let him steal through fear. Um, so I, I made the decision to, trust God no matter where my story would take me. And I just began to let myself feel the anger that needed to be felt because I hadn't allowed myself to feel anger for so long. Mm -hmm. So I had to tap into not the anger at the enemy, but the anger at all of the loss. And even that anger at the own um role I had played in allowing it to happen. And so I had to confront all of that. Then I had to grieve it. And I had to be okay with being messy. And I had to I also had to learn that God truly does know how to get the best out of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And whether that needed to look messy one day and Um, happy the next and angry the next. I just had to let the process be what the process was. Mm -hmm. But what I did at every single point in the process is I invited God into the very center of it. Mm -hmm. And I would lay in the bed at night, Eric, and I would, I was just really honest with the Lord. And I remember one night laying in the bed, I was on book tour and it was such a busy season. And I was at my parents' house and I had an early, like I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to catch a flight. And for whatever reason, just, I was laying in bed that night and I was like, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm getting older all the parts have shifted. I'm not, I don't look like I did when I was 18. If you have a man for me, I don't even, you know, all the questions a girl would have. Yep.
0: Just, uh,
1: and I am talking to him like he is sitting in the room and he is my best girlfriend. And I'm being as honest and vulnerable as I know how to be. And I had prayed a prayer early on. I said, Lord, whatever you do, don't let my grief cause me to miss you. Because I, I know that God, C.S. Lewis says this way, he whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. And that's because pain can scream. Mm. And so I did not want my pain to let me miss the Lord. Mm. So whatever he was doing in my life, in the detailed way that he loved me, I did not want to miss him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was always looking for him. And... So that night I'm saying all these things to him. I get to the airport the next day. I'm sitting on the plane. There's a precious lady reading next to me. We start talking about books and I get a tap on the shoulder and I look over and there is this man and he's like crouched down by my seat. And he said, ma'am, he said, I just was watching you in the terminal. And he said, I just felt like you needed to know that you are beautiful.
0: He wasn't. He wasn't trying to hit on you at this point.
1: Well, I, my face must have contorted in some crazy way because he said, "Ma'am, ma'am, I promise I'm not a stalker. I'm not a stalker." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." Mm-hmm. He said, "I just really felt you needed to know today, yeah, how beautiful you are," and. He got up, he left. I turned to the woman that was sitting next to me and she looked at me and she said, that was the sweetest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> and Eric, I began to weep. Um, I never saw the man again. I didn't see him get off the plane. I didn't see him in the terminal. And I could tell you story after story after story like that through that that year, that first year specifically, that illuminated to me the detailed love of God in such a way that I was thinking of this this weekend when I or, or Sunday at church when my pastor was talking about Jesus going from teacher to Lord, and I asked myself the question at church yesterday. I said when did you go from Lord to father? Hmm. And as soon as I asked it, I knew it was that year following my divorce.
0: He spoke to you as a father would speak to you.
1: Right. Yeah. And he loved me in a way that was so, um, in Denise's language, that, my diligence not to let my grief cause me to miss Him and His extravagant pursuit of my heart just kind of collided with a force that completely transformed the way I see Him. It's hmm.
0: beautiful. That's, beautiful. I'll, I'll, that's a really touching story. And, and just to see God speak to you right at the moment when when you needed to hear it. Yeah. and to be aware of that to take note of that and just acknowledge that that it, it it's so important it's so important for us not to miss his his um his when he speaks to us right you know um so i think that's uh that's a good good thing for people to hear i um i want to talk about reclaiming hearts ministries sure so do you take so you have these events as part of your ministry,
1: right? We call them weekend experiences.
0: Weekend experiences.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What types of people come to these weekend experiences?
1: Uh, all kinds. They come in ICU. <laughs> What's they that come. Mean? At, I see uh, they come intensive care. Yeah, mm-hmm. they come at some of the most broken places you can imagine some come in triage where they may not even quite know all that's going on and some come just to get tools for the journey yeah and they come we have they come as couples they come as singles we're doing a pastors only in april and we take the the message of reclaiming your heart. And we boil it down into like a real intensive, intimate, beautiful weekend. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's a three day.
1: It starts on Thursday evening Mm -hmm. and it goes through Sunday afternoon.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you handle, um, let's say someone comes and uh, I'm, I'm reading here, um, um, they i people have identified that you know what i'm seeing that i've given my heart to performance mm-hmm. and performance is my is my my battle i guess and it's kind of the th- the thing that the enemy uses to to steal um tell me some of the things that you will encounter what are some common things that you will see from someone who is very performance driven and, and derives their value from how well they perform or not well they perform.
1: Um, that's an interesting question, Eric there with the performing heart, there is a need to look okay. There is a desire to um, not be quite as bad off as the person next to you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there is a fear that if in some way, things aren't, uh, perfect, that that is a statement of your value. And so I would dare say in a weekend experience, the performing heart is the hardest to break through. Um, Because they're performing when they're there. Right, exactly. And we actually do um, something that's really specific to our Reclaiming Hearts weekends. It's an activity that first night that is very revealing if that is part of their story, because usually they won't they won't even play. You know, they won't even participate in it. And that's always a real Indicator. And then you have the non performer who is so desperate, he does not care what you think, (laughs) that he won't just, you know, do the activity. He does it with everything he has inside of him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when, and I don't always teach every heart in the book every weekend. I'm very prayerful. And it's always interesting to me the, Cause I'll teach three or four hearts in a weekend and then Ken speaks. And then my husband Philly shares a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always intrigued of which hearts the Lord will lay on my heart. Cause I know it's real indicative of, of the hearts that will be there. And, but for the performing heart, the, the greatest thing you can help them realize is that nothing you will ever do or not do will ever make you valuable enough or not valuable at all Mm -hmm. because your value is not based on your ability to perform or to look perfect. Right. And we use Genesis three as just the foundational story because it's the beginning of all of our stories is when Adam and Eve arrive in the garden and The beautiful thing, the beautiful piece of that story that is so indicative of the performing heart to me is as soon as Adam and Eve sin, they try to figure out how to cover it up. And so they run and they grab for this cheap imitation of what can hide what has now entered their story. And so they grasp at these fig leaves and then you watch later on in, um, the end of that chapter, how God looks at them. And it's the first time blood is ever spilt. It's the foreshadowing of the cross. And he spills the blood of an animal. And he makes, this picture so beautiful to me, he makes clothes for them. And he looks at them and it's almost like he says, there is no, you cannot perform enough to cover up your need for me. Hmm. So if you will surrender your performance your fig leaves your cheap imitation I will clothe you in what will always make you enough and yeah so yeah okay
0: um that's very good that's very good what a what a I mean cl- uh, clothe you in righteousness yeah Right. Uh, I have uh, Christy who is actually listening. We've got several people listening or watching live on Facebook while I'm interviewing you. Okay. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I am.
1: <laughs> as long as I'm not live. On nope. Facebook.
0: Nobody We're can good. see you. I'm showing your book every once in a while. It's weird because it's backwards. So people are like, what is the book again? It's, it's all backwards. <laughs> but anyway, um, how, she's asking this. How do you handle someone who has been in deep broken places? I'm not sure exactly what she means by that, but, but I'm just curious when you're, when you're dealing with somebody who's been through, who has been in deep broken places, are you trying to fix them right away?
1: Yeah. That word handle. I'm not sure. Um,
0: what does that reveal for you <laughs> when it's yeah,
1: what she means by handle um,
0: might be her child.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, You know, it's uh, the one thing that I've learned, Eric, is that nothing is ever lost in surrender. Mm -hmm. Ever. When Adam and Eve surrendered those fig leaves to God's indescribable um, foreshadowing of the cross, they didn't lose Mm -hmm. in that situation. Um, and so I have learned that I have to surrender everything to the Lord. Now, if she's talking about handling in the sense that I'm thinking of handling now, so that to me connotates, you just have to surrender them to the Lord Mm -hmm. and trust that he's big enough for their story. Because um he is. Does
0: that if she's, control?
1: Yeah, it, it does. And it also indicates fear because control is always a byproduct of fear. Mm-hmm. Control is the the fear that God isn't really big enough to handle my situation or my story. So I need to figure out how to handle it and how to fix it and how to do it. Mm-hmm. But... That is a very dangerous place. And what I've learned with control is that control is setting ourselves up to be God in someone's story. And then often we're sitting there, you know, pleading in prayer like, God, why won't they surrender their hearts to you? And it's almost like you hear God saying, because you're you're, pl- you're God in their story. They have no need for me. Mm-hmm and until you get out of the way as savior they will never discover the real one and eric the reason i know this so well is because i did it for so long mm-hmm. and i i was rescuer i was savior and but control ultimately if you really want to boil it down to truth we do it because we don't want to hurt because something for us is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And so we want to try to manage, to fix, to manipulate, to devise a way in which everything can be orchestrated according to the way we think it should work so that we don't hurt. Mm-hmm. But we're just, we're taking God out of the picture and we are leaving them set up to miss Him as their Savior. Mm. And that's a scary place to be.
0: Very good. She's, uh, she's saying, Oh my,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know, but I so understand. I do. I do. It's, um, and it's a hard pattern to break. Yeah. But I think when we realize what is at stake and there again, if you, if you realize who the real enemy is, that the enemy is always trying to get us to miss our father's heart. And so if he can get us to play God in somebody else's story, then he can accomplish exactly what he's trying to accomplish. And then we can say, I, I don't want to be his pawn. Hmm. I don't want anybody to miss what Jesus has for them because of me.
0: Hmm. That's great. I love that. That's that's phenomenal. So Reclaiming Hearts Ministries, um, these events, you can learn all about them at Reclaiming Hearts Dot com, right? Right. And um, th- is there an audiobook version of your book, Reclaiming Your Heart?
1: No, there isn't. But re- there is a fiction companion to Reclaiming Your Heart on audio and in book form Which called is- Secret, Secrets Over Sweet Tea. Oh, OK. And you actually are able to watch the care. You're actually able to watch people walk in these shutdown patterns of behavior, come to these real, um, reckoning moments and then figure out what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And some choose to take the journey and some don't as, as any good story has.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right. So reclaiming com is where people can, um, can plug into where, how to attend a weekend, um, how to get involved. um, and I'm sure links to the, to all the books that you have yes. as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, you know, I, what I appreciate about, appreciate about you, Denise, is that we, we covered, we, we got deep there. We covered a lot. Of, yeah, we
1: kinda did. <laughs> yeah.
0: You'll, you know, hopefully you found this was not just your typical, uh, uh, book promotion conversation. This is like, we really mm-hmm. do. I really do care. I want these, I want people to experience breakthrough. Um, I've touched into some of that myself, uh, through going through a lot of pain, uh, -hmm. myself. And, um, and I I think it's time for us to, to begin to reclaim some, some of the things that we've allowed to be stolen from us. And, uh, and so I, I walk with you in that, um, Mm -hmm. any things that we need to know right now, anything that we can apply as we finish up. What can we apply today to our lives that, would, that will begin to lead us to reclaiming our hearts?
1: Um, I, I'm going to use the title of your podcast.
0: Okay.
1: I'm going to say Pray for Courage. It may be your most courageous moment. To take that first step to tell a friend your story, to make a phone call to a counselor, to do an honest evaluation of your heart. And so I would just encourage your listeners to pray a very bold prayer to a God that always answers the heart's the pure prayers of his children. Mm -hmm. And I would ask him, father, I'm asking you to give me courage Mm -hmm. in any place that I need to have courage to take the steps to live the abundant life you've created me to live and to reveal anything I need to see Mm -hmm. that is keeping me from it.
0: Mm. We just prayed that and i'm praying that and agreeing with you uh as a my prayer for for this community for the people listening live for the people listening to the podcast um or watching it later um i'm agreeing with you that's a that's a fantastic way to start um well do you ever uh want to write songs again ever ever have a, an interest getting back into it
1: you know eric it- interesting that you say that. That was one of the real pieces of my shutdownness and coming back to life. And I don't know if you're familiar with Reggie Stone or not, uh, but Reggie is a wonderful songwriter, worship leader, and he leads worship at our weekend experiences. And Reggie has been gracious enough to uh, pin a couple songs with me over the last couple years. So yeah, it still stirs in there every now and then. So I'm always open to whatever God wants to pour out of me I'm just I'm, I'm done living in fear and shadows
0: well I mean if you're like my wife who is a songwriter uh, she is very creative she has to be creating something now yeah. you, you are a writer you're you're creating using your your words and writing them Chrissy also loves to write so it, there's there's and she loves to also decorate and do you know, cooking and and things like that, wherever she can get her hands on creativity. She's all about that. That's what stirs her. That's what, uh, that's the abundant life that she has. So I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure that's all going to be part of your plan and be part of his plan for you. And, um, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, exciting to hear. Well, um, Denise, thank you for being on the courage cast and for joining us. Um, This has been a real joy, and I feel very relaxed, as if I've just come out of a counseling session myself.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope you are encouraged. That's my greatest prayer.
0: Yeah, I think the community is as well. So, Denise, um, we will uh, post all the details about how people can uh, connect with you, but I'm sure reclaiminghearts.com is going to be the best way, and and, I encourage people to pick up this book as well, uh, Reclaiming Your Heart. A Journey Back to Laughing, Loving, and Living. And then if you uh, are interested in the audio version of Secrets Over Sweet Tea, that might be very uh, appealing to you if you're an audio listener. Uh, So, Denise, thank you.
1: Thank you, Eric. I look so forward to meeting you in person and your beautiful wife. Absolutely.
0: We'll make that happen. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.